Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... He who opens and no one shuts, and he shuts and no one opens. That would be important to the Jewish listener and otherwise. The key of David, Jesus is basically letting them know, look, I, I am, I'm the doorway. I'm the, I have the key. There's, a, there's an authority that God has. If you're going to enter into relationship with God, you got to come through who? You got to come through Jesus. There, there. He's. I, I have the key because this is why this is important. These believers have been kicked out of synagogue. Jesus says to them, "Hey guys, relax. I, I got the key." Have you ever felt like an outsider? Perhaps some group at your work, in your neighborhood, or within your extended family has shut you out. Today. Pastor Bill looks at a church in the book of Revelation for which Jesus has only commendation. And Jesus himself reassures each believer, you may have been kicked out of some earthly group, but he has the key that opens the door to fellowship with God, meaningful life on earth, and eternal life in heaven. Jesus is the one opening that door for you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation chapter 3. As he begins his message, the Church of Philadelphia. As we're going through the book of Revelation, we're in a section that covers the seven churches, the church age, and we've covered five. Today we'll cover the sixth church. Uh, we've seen a lot of things. We've seen a church that had left their first love. We've seen a church that was a persecuted church. We've seen a church that was compromised, a church that was corrupt. We looked at a church that was dead, the church of Sardis. Well, today we look at the Church of Philadelphia, which we are calling the Faithful Church. Philadelphia is one of two churches that Jesus had nothing negative to say, only positive. So we really want to pay attention. The other church that he only had positive things to say about was Smyrna, the persecuted church. He had no correction for them. There was no negative things, only positive. Well, the Church of Philadelphia is like them. And if you guys remember, as we study the book of Revelation, which is the unveiling of Jesus, on every page, we'll want to learn about him. Amen? So what we're learning about Jesus as he gives his evaluation of these churches, we're learning what he loves, what he hates, what he wants not to happen in the church, what he wants to happen. Every time Jesus gives a commendation, Jesus is saying, this is what I want the church to be like. And every time he gives a correction, we're hearing, this is what I don't want to be in my church. Amen? So as we read this church and we look at what they were like, we're learning about Jesus how he would like his church to be. With that, look at chapter 3, verse 7. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. And so first, I want to give us a little background on Philadelphia. It opens as the other letters do. He says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. These letters are addressed to the angels, the, the pastors, the overseers of the particular churches. Remember, each one of these was actually a church that existed, and they were given to the leaders of these churches. We know that each letter was written to the church at large, because at the end of each letter, Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, says that to all seven. So while it was addressed to a church, he said, I want this to go out to all my church, that we would all benefit from these things. And so he says to them, to this church in Philadelphia, so a few things about them. 
what kind of an area were they in, what kind of a, a people were they. The people of the church in Philadelphia was situated. It was a major Roman role where some of the other churches also found themselves. It led from Troas, Pergamos, Thyatira, then the Sardis. Then it ended at Philadelphia on the east. It's, it's on the little travel route that you'd see all the churches going on. It was on a, a major road. The city got its name. So Philadelphia means brotherly love. This is not Philadelphia in the east coast, by the way. Uh, all these are churches in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. And it's interesting, it got its name. There was two brothers who were influential in founding the city. I can't really pronounce this first guy's name. It's Umines, E-U-M-E-N-E-S, the second. He had a younger brother named Atelidad. Atelidad? Yeah, I know what I'm saying. A-T-T-A, something, something, L-I-D, the second. His younger brother, here's a big deal. His younger brother was being tempted by Rome to go against his older brother and to gain favor with Rome, and he wouldn't do it because he loved his brother so much. And so these two founded the city. They called it the city of brotherly love. They named it after him. He was nicknamed this brother Philadelphus, which means brotherly love. That's where the city got its name from. About the city during the time when the, the letter was written, it was pagan. It was mostly a pagan city. They had really fertile fields, so they grew grapes really well in the area. They had a lot of pagan gods, a lot of things that they worship. One of note was Dionysus, was the god of wine. So because they had all of the fertile wine vineyards and whatnot, Dionysus was worshipped here, so the god of wine. Some people called Philadelphia the little Athens because there were so many temples to so many different gods all throughout the city. So they had a lot of pagan practices going on in the city. They also suffered from or they had earthquakes like California. Philadelphia, also Sardis, both had earthquakes. They had a large earthquake at one point and where it was such a devastating earthquake that they were People were mostly moved out of the city for a season uh, until things were repaired and put back together. That'll be important later as God gives them some some words at the end, you know, that they'll never be moved. They're going to be pillars in the house of his God. God is saying, you guys will never have to move. He says this to a church of people that were, you know, they were accustomed to things happening where they were being moved out because of the earthquakes and the things that were going on. Lastly, the Christians in Philadelphia suffered persecution there were Jews that were resistant to Christ, resistant to the gospel, yet they ran synagogues. And so a lot of the Christians in Philadelphia had been kicked out of the local synagogues. They couldn't worship there. So they suffered persecution from, there was Jewish opposition that they suffered persecution from. So with all that kind of background about the city and the people and what was going on, Jesus says, and to the leader, the angel, the pastor of this church in Philadelphia, right? And remember, every time... Uh, Christ depicts himself in some way has something to do with his message to the church. So listen to what Jesus says about himself to this group. These things says he who is holy and he who is true. I want to stop there before I go to the next things. He who is holy. This holiness is spoken of here is the holiness that only can be said about God. Everybody here, we're trying to be holy. Amen. Is anybody here perfectly holy? Anybody? No, none of you, none of us are perfectly holy. We know that we're flawed. We know that we fall short. But the way holy is used here, this is the holiness that God can, it only can attribute, be attributed to him. He is perfect in his holiness. Amen. He is without flaw, without error, without blemish, without issue at all. God says, look, he who is holy. And he says, he who is true. There's two Greek words used to depict true. Some is, one of them is true as opposed to false. That's not the word that's being used here. 
The other one is true, and it means it's true in its nature. It's true in what it is. When God says, look, I am true, we know that he is the truth. Amen? Uh, it's not even just, not just what he does. He doesn't just tell the truth. He actually is the truth. And so Jesus is true in all of who he is. Both of these things remind us we know that he's God. But he says, hey, guys, the one that's saying these things to you, I am perfectly holy, and I'm absolutely true. That'll mean something because he's going to say some things to them. He's going to have some words to speak to this church. Interesting to me that the promise to this church, the small church this, you know, that he is, he's speaking to here, um, weak in power, he has the most promises for this church than any of them. So he has a lot to say to them toward, toward the end. He who was holy and he who was true. Then he says this, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and he shuts and no one opens. That would be important to the Jewish listener and otherwise. The key of David, Jesus is basically letting them know, look, I, I am, I'm the doorway. I'm the, I have the key. There's, a, there's an authority that God has. If you're going to enter into relationship with God, you got to come through who? You got to come through Jesus. There, there he's, I, I have the key because this is why this is important. These believers have been kicked out of synagogues. Jesus says to them, hey, guys, relax. I got the key of David. Never mind what those guys are doing over there. Never mind that you can't go to that synagogue down there. Hey, I have the key of David. I'm, I'm, you, you're, you're good with me. And so I want you to understand how reassuring it would be for them to hear him say this to them. I have the key. Them guys are kicking you out like they are in charge, like they're holding it, but I have the key of David. I'm the one that determines that. When I open, nobody can shut. And when I shut, nobody can open. And he's going to tell them in just a moment, I've opened a door for you guys. I don't want to skimp over that real quick because while here it has a specific meaning, what he says here, this is true about God in general, right? If God opens a door for you, who can shut it? Nobody. And if he shuts a door, who can open it? Nobody. That's an important thing to grasp as believers that, you know, I'm, I think it'll keep us from living like the world in some sense. You know, if, if there's a job or something I'm going after and I, I desire it strongly, I want God to do it. If God has it for me, I don't, do I have to cheat to get it? Steal to get it? Step on your neck to get it? I just got to be right with God. If, if he opens that door for me, nobody can shut it anyway. It saves me in this way too. Let's say you shut the door. Let's say I go to get a job where you work at. You don't like me. I got there to the door and you gave me stank face from the door. I know you don't like me. I go for the interview and you don't, I don't get the job. I don't leave there saying I didn't get the job because he didn't like me. No, no, no. Why? Because if he was, if God had it for me, could you keep it from me? So I don't have to be mad at you. I don't have to kiss your butt. I don't have to be mad at you. You don't matter that much. You're down here. I'm looking, up, I'm looking way above your head for what's coming for me. And if God shuts that door, it doesn't matter who shuts it, doesn't matter whose hand is on the knob. If he shuts the door, I can accept that from the Lord. If he opens a door, nobody can shut it. If he shuts a door, no one can open it. Now, in the, if, if I'm looking at what it means here in the sense of my salvation, in the sense of my being right with God, in the sense of me being in relationship with the Lord, God is saying, look, if I open the door, nobody can shut it on you. Nobody can take this from you because I did it. I opened it up. And if I shut it, nobody's opening it. But to the believers here, he's saying, look, if I've opened this up to you, it's open. And I believe that, again, he's encouraging faithful Christians in an era where they've been persecuted and mistreated by so-called Jewish people. 
Uh, they've been booted out of synagogue, so forth and so on. And these are encouraging words that he would present himself to them as, I'm holy and I'm true. I have the key of David. I open and nobody can shut. I shut and no one can open. He's reminding them that he is, God has authority, that he has power, that he is sovereign. Nobody can undo what God has done. Amen? And there's a security in that, right? If God has saved you, can somebody unsave you? No, I'm saved. I mean, once I belong, I belong. Eternal life, how long does eternal life last? So if I got eternal life, then ha, ha, you know, I got eternal life. I'm, I'm in, I'm with him. There's a security and a comfort in that that I think we need to have, right? God wants us to have. In 1 John 5, 13, he says, these things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know it. And so he tells them here again, he opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. This is a quotation from Isaiah 22, verses 20 through 23. You can go look at the context there, but I'm moving on. Look at verse eight. He says what he says to all the churches. I know your works. Again, he says this to every one of the churches. And sometimes after he says, I know your works, he has some commendations and then he would have some corrections to the church in Sardis, the dead church. If you guys remember after Jesus said, I know your works, he had nothing positive to say. And I told you guys, that's not the church we want to be. If God have nothing good to say about that, means ain't nothing good about you. Because if there is anything good to say, he was always faithful to say it. But imagine a church where God would say, I got nothing, just skip the positive. I got nothing good to say about you. Well, this church, God would say, I got nothing bad to say about you. All I have is commendations for you guys. So that causes me to want to, I want to hear this. I want to hear this church that God says, I only got good things to say about you guys. Because I'm, I'm learning about him and I'm learning how to be that kind of Christian, that kind of believer, that kind of church where God says, I got nothing bad to say about you. Wouldn't we all like to be that? I want to be that. Let's listen. He says this in verse eight. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. So first he says, I know your works. Then he reminds him that he has set before them an open door and no one can shut it. And I believe for them, again, sometimes the scriptures, open doors are spoken of as ministry or evangelistic opportunities that, you know, God has opened a door of opportunity before us. If you're a note taker, you can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. I'll read it to you, though. Paul said in verse 8, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. He says, for a great and effective door has been opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Uh, I like that coupling. If you're doing any kind of ministry where you're evangelizing, you're reaching out, God's I'll open this a great and effective door of opportunity opened up. But you know what? If you get involved in ministry and you're trying to reach souls for Christ, guess what you can count on? There'll be some adversaries. Should that stop you? Should that hinder you? It should cause you to pray because it's a spiritual battle, but it should not hinder you, slow you. It should just make you aware. And then when you get hit with the battle, you ought to be a little bit happy. You know, that's like, I mean, that, that, that's a hint that you're doing something. Amen. If you don't experience any warfare ever, I would say that that's sad. That would, I would be looking in the mirror saying, God, why? Why is, why, is, why is Satan concerned with me at all? Imagine if you played on a basketball team and nobody ever came to D you up. Nobody ever came to defend. You came down court with the ball and everybody just let them go. Let them go. What does that say about you? That says, you, it's just pathetic. We, we're not worried about you making a basket from nowhere, you know? Um, so imagine that's, that's a, the believer that is experiencing no opposition, 
That's you. Satan, just let them go. They ain't going to do nothing. Please don't be that believer. Amen? Man, kick up some dust. Throw sand in the enemy eye. Do something. Make some noise. Do something for the Lord. So here he says, I'll set before you an open door and no one can shut it. And again, he's encouraging and reminding these believers of what he's done for. I'm the one that's opened these doors for you guys. Even though your experience in reality is that you can't get into temples and you've been outed by Jewish people, he said, look, I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it. Look at what he says now about them. He says, for you have a little strength. First, he says, you have a little strength. Then he says, you have kept my word. Then he says, if you have not denied my name. So come back up. He says, you have a little strength. That's under commendation. So it's like he could have said you have no strength. He's saying, look, you guys have a little strength. So this, we know this is a church that will be around in the end times. But God said, look, they're not this massive, banging, powerful, mega. He said, you guys have a little strength. But that's a commendation. You guys are in a difficult area, and it's difficult, but you have a little strength. You guys are hanging in there. I want you to know this because sometimes there are believers that are feeling like, I just got to, you know, like, like, like you have to do some magnificent, magnanimous thing. And God is saying, if you just be faithful with the stuff I did call you to do, it might not look like, you know, fireworks. And, but it, it, from my perspective, it'd be pretty awesome. We're doing the studies of the men of the Bible. We looked at Enoch. And Enoch, is just a, he's only spoken of in three places in the Bible, in Genesis 5 and Hebrews 11 and in Jude. And all you can put, you put his whole life together, says in Genesis that he walked with God and he was not for God took him. And you're like, man, this dude, God just took him to heaven early. And you think, what was what was it about his life that was so amazing that God took him? He pleased God. Then you go to, you know, Hebrews 11 and you look at him in Hebrews 11 and you find that, you know, he, he, he by faith. It was by faith that he walked with God. And after Enoch had Methuselah, so after he had a kid, something took place. And he began to, he said, he began to walk with God. And for 300 years, consistently, he walked with God. What is a walk? It's consistent, steady, forward progress. Nothing spectacular. He didn't, you know, it wasn't like he had fireworks and gun shows. It wasn't like Elijah or the prophets. He just walked with God. And something about that, something about his consistent walk with the Lord pleased God so much. I mean, there were, I look at, at his same time, Noah, what Noah did was pretty remarkable, but God didn't take him. But something about Enoch, just his consistent walk with 300 years walking. And God said, man, I like this dude so much, I'm, gonna bring him to, I'm just going to bring him to heaven without death. And God took him. And then you go to Jude and you find out that he prophesied and he, he was speaking truth. But, you know, that's it. That's, that's I mean, that's God. That, that's it. I'm, I'll, give me the secret sauce. What did he do? You know, what did the, give me what he really did. No, he just walked with me. Some of you guys, if you just walk with God. If you just be consistent in walking with Jesus, stop walking away from him. Stop getting distracted with others. If you would just walk with God, you will find that as you walk with him, you walk into everything that he delights in, everything that he wants you to be doing as you just walk with him. And sometimes, again, we're looking for the big thing. I want to do this great thing. And God said, I wish you would just do the, the basic stuff. I wish you would just walk. I wish you would just open up the word and read it every day. I wish you would just obey what you already know. Some people want to get deep. Want to get deep, deep, deep. And God's like, if you would obey the little bit you know, we'd be a lot better. So I'd be amazed at how people want to go deep and be all philosophical and deep and they're not obeying the basics. Deep for what then? You know, so here he says to them, you have a little strength. Maybe in your walk, maybe as you serve the Lord, maybe you feel beat up, tattered. Maybe you feel like, man, I have a little strength. 
God says, look, I'm commending them for having a little strength. Not a bad thing if you're beat down from the battle. It means you've been in the battle. Amen? If you're weary from the war, it means you've been in the war. But he says, you guys have a little strength. He's commending them for the little strength that they have. Something we want to remember that in the scriptures, sometimes in the world, we forget this. In the world, you know, we want to be strong. But in the Bible, God says, look, strength comes from weakness. God says, look, when you're weak, he is what? His strength is made perfect in your weakness. If God's strength is made perfect when I'm weak, then what happens when I'm all strong and full of myself? God's like, I'm going to let you be strong. While you be strong, I'm going to be weak in your life. That's when your life is all torn, when you think you got it together. It's when we're weak that we're strong. It's when I'm humble. It's when I know I can't do it without his help. It's when I'm, I'm on my face in desperate prayer saying, God, I can't do this without you, that God says, then I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to do it for you. I'll go, I'll go before you. Um, it's when we become full of ourselves that we're really weak, weakest of all. So um, he says, you have a little strength. Number next thing he says to the next commendation, you have kept my word. If you guys remember in the beginning of the book, the blessing to the book of Revelation was said in verse three of chapter one, that he's going to bless those who read it, hear it, and keep the prophecies that are written in this book, right? To reading the word is important. Hearing the word is important. But the final piece is, is significant, right? That we keep the word. He says, here, you guys have kept my word. Never mind where you live. Never mind the environment. Never mind all the wickedness going on. You guys have kept my word. I commend you for that. And so God would commend you and me as well if we could keep his word. If we would be men and women, that do we live in a wicked world? We sure do. Are there temptations all around us? Absolutely. Are there differing opinions and views and feelings? Certainly. And God said, look, I would commend you for being a man or woman that would keep my word. That you wouldn't let society tell you what my word says. You tell the world, the society, what my word says. That we wouldn't bend the rules. We wouldn't change God's words. We wouldn't take out the inconvenient verses and leave the convenient verses. But God says, you kept my word. There's never been a generation of believers that weren't tempted to leave the word of God. You know, you know that? That's always going to be a place of battle, a place of war. The enemy's going to always attack. If you go all the way back in the beginning of your Bible, you learn how Satan wars. Satan, the first thing he ever came against was the word of God. You know that? He told Eve, has God indeed said that you can't eat? I mean, she's, I mean, brought into question the word. Did God really say that? And the insinuation was, because if he did, that's messed up. Right, God, did God really say you can't eat of all the that is messed up. All them trees, you can't you can't eat of all the trees. What God had really said was you can eat of all the trees except one. But look at how Satan flipped it. Did God really say did, he, did God indeed say? Don't be surprised that same thing is happening today. Does the Bible really say that's not what the Bible really means? You got people that don't even know the Bible quoting it and twisting it and maneuvering it and you know maligning it. God says, Look, this church kept my word. We want to be a church that keeps the word. But here's the deal. You can't keep the word you don't know. That's why I want y'all to read it every day. (laughs) That's why we study the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. That's why we do it this way. I don't get to show up on Sunday and decide I want to talk to y'all about this. When I show up on Sunday, I've spent the week preparing what God said already. And I'm believing that it's living and powerful. He's going to speak to you today what he wants to speak through it, right? I don't pick and choose. We went through some rough places, went through the minor problems. We went through them parts of the Bible. Some of y'all Bibles are stuck together there. If you ain't showing up, it's the part of your Bible that looks like it's a glued together clump from Daniel to Malachi. We, we went through all of that, right? 
every chapter and every verse of it. We got one. We have to do Malachi. We're going to finally hear Malachi in context. But it's important that in order to keep the word, I got to know the word. And so he commends him here. You guys have kept my word. We're so glad you've joined us today here on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Revelation can seem like a long book to work through, but it's all in the attitude you approach it. If you look at it as something amazing and inspiring that God has gifted to you to understand Him better, it helps you see everything with a different lens. Revelation is cool. It's a mashup of all the best elements of a sci-fi movie. But in reality, it will bring an amazing resolution to all that's wrong in the world. Isn't that what we all want? Look at the book of Revelation with appreciation of who God is and that He's the one in control. If you'd like to listen to more teachings in Revelation, go to calvaryinglewood.org. If you're wanting to connect with someone more personally about this ministry, go ahead and call or text us at 310-245-4811. We'd love to encourage you as you're seeking God for wisdom, insight, and understanding. So please pick up that phone and dial or text 310-245-4811. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, in Inglewood, California. Our time with you today is about up, but we encourage you to keep reading and studying this fascinating final book of the Bible. We're so grateful you took the time to listen today, and Pastor Bill will be back with more next time in the book of Revelation. Until then... Remember who God has created you to be in this broken and fallen world. Don't lose heart and stay connected to a transforming word.